Kraken Fancast, the podcast for Seattle Kraken fans by Seattle Kraken fans. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kraken Fancast. I'm your host, Chris Porter. I'll be joined momentarily by my colleague, Jim Cockrell, for some Seattle Kraken hockey talk. Nathan Gunderson is away today, but uh, we've got another guest here. Uh, we've got Rick Judd from the podcast Shipwrecks and Body Checks with us, and he's also uh, runs the, uh, was one of the folks that runs the Kraken fan group called the 32 Crew. We'll chat with uh, Rick about uh, his program and the fan group and and also have him join us uh, for some uh, regular game and team news discussion. For those of you who are new to FanCast or just need a reminder, Kraken FanCast focuses on all subject matter about the National Hockey League's 32nd franchise, the Seattle Kraken. We share news about the team, analyze their play, and go over various team-related news. We'll also at times present interviews with people involved with the team, as well as those in the fan community. Plus, uh, when we can, we aim to go into some different subject matter you might not hear on other Kraken-related podcasts. We'd like to start out by acknowledging our very kind and generous sponsors. First up, Silver City Brewery, located in Bremerton, with their beer sold throughout the state of Washington and beyond. Beer for one, beer for all. Silver City is an all-inclusive Northwest craft beer adventure in every pint. Also, big, big thanks to the Angry Beaver, Seattle's number one hockey-themed bar, located in the Greenwood neighborhood of Seattle. All right, so jumping right in, as I mentioned before, we're very happy to be joined by fellow fan and podcaster Rick Judd. Maybe we'll get his uh, partner Brandon in a little later on. Uh, people around here, we're, we're dealing with uh, snow and weather and power outages here, so hopefully we can get uh, Brandon on later. But Rick, we're really happy to have you here with us. Uh, Rick uh, is part of a podcast called Shipwrecks and Body Checks, a fairly new one and uh, also runs the 32 Crew uh, fan group. So welcome, Rick. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is uh, this is really excellent. We've, uh, Brandon and I, it's it's fun to jump into the game. Um, we jumped in for season two, so there's a bunch of already established podcasts. So it's been fun to join the families and uh, to jump on, on a couple of them. We've jumped on a few so far, but it's been uh, it's been fun. Great. Yeah, this is what it is. It's all about, you know, fun good talk uh getting uh people engaged uh with uh with all of it and you know I Jim and I and Nathan I know we we all listen to a lot of different podcasts we had uh, Mike on from NHL Sasquatch and you know of course we check out uh you know Emerald City Hockey and other others too so uh a lot a lot of great content out there so we're happy to have you among us um before we get to some crack and talk um uh, love to learn a little bit more about you you know tell us tell us a little bit about your background with hockey and how the 32 crew and your podcast got started. Yeah. So uh, I know for me, um, I was born and raised in Washington um, and have been anything Seattle sports related uh, fan in the sense of like fan short for fanatic, like obsessive over Seattle Mariners baseball, obsessive over Seahawks, uh, obsessive over the the Sounders when they came in. Uh, I played a lot of baseball, played a lot of soccer. Um didn't didn't get a chance to really do much playing of hockey growing up, um, but my first ever hockey game I did go to was one of those old uh, Tacoma SaberCats games down in the Tacoma oh, Dome long, I used long to go to time those. ago. Yeah, yep. So deep history there. A lot of uh, yelling at what is essentially children playing hockey at the Thunderbirds game. Um, so so was super excited and had been 
starting to follow NHL hockey really uh, heavily right after their uh, strike. So that was uh, 2005, maybe 2006. Around that time is really when I started to like pay a lot more attention and get to know like specific players at that time. Very much a Canucks fan because of proximity. Um, grew up in the 90s, so always a Mighty Ducks fan as well. Um, lost a lot of interest when they changed their logo. But uh, yeah, and getting the uh, momentum going towards a 30-second franchise and seeing that the Kraken was really uh, something that could happen. Um, definitely a lot more of that early focus being towards bringing the Sonics back. But when hockey became a, a real potential, that immediately jumped everything. And people would be like, oh, man, Chris Hansen's going to bring the Sonics back. It's going to be great. It's going to be near Safeco Field. It's like, nah, who cares? Like, get hockey here. That's I. That's all I care about. And basketball will come whenever, and people will go to that, sure. But we need hockey. Hockey's so much better. And it's been a lot of fun. I, I knew that it wouldn't take much for me, even though I never played and can barely ice skate. But I've never played hockey. Um, but knowing just the deep statistical background I have in like following sports that it would be really easy to follow the team it's been really 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 fun it was a hard first season to follow but getting involved with Brandon uh, and the 32 crew as as a fan group that he just started um, it was the day after the Kraken name had been announced he created a Twitter handle and it was called the Kraken crew he had a cool design of like the very similar to the octopus design from Simply Seattle. Just a very basic logo. And he's like, that's just, just a place for like-minded folks to talk about hockey. And then he got a couple of cease and desist letters um, from the Space Needle because it had the Space Needle logo in it. Uh, and the team had asked him to not use the brand or the name. Um, and the Space Needles was definitely more aggressive. And the team was, hey, we can't have you use the colors or the name. But we love the idea of a fan group. Let's work together. And so they were at the, the organization itself actually partnered with Brandon to rebrand the group name, came up with like helped design a logo, helped kind of figure out what the feel and the vibe would be. And that's where the 32 crew came from, was the 32nd franchise and the K for the crew being the K with the Kraken. And that first year really just interacting as much as possible on social because at that point it was brandon and whoever else wanted to follow to keep track and we didn't start expanding i would say until late first year towards like manor season actually because we had a couple manor games where we would do kraken meetups and over the summer was the first time that i had met brandon in person um and at that point I think that was a September or August baseball game at the Mariner game, whatever the Kraken night was where we all got the cool t-shirts. The idea of writing the blog that we have, the uh, abyss, scrolls from the abyss, um, really was something that he wanted to start, but didn't want to do too much at the beginning to really just let everything organically flow. And so we did the first year just being a social media platform. And over the summer, knowing that there'd be a lot of news and a lot of stuff happening and then a lot of momentum going into year two he's like hey anybody within this crew community who wants to write about the team reach out and i immediately sent him an email I was like dude this is what i want to do like when i was in college i did one for fun and had like 10 people look at my blog but this is what i want to do this is dope uh 
and about 12 of us are in our writers group. And we spent August and September and early October just pumping out articles about, hey, here's a player feature. Um, here's a free agent signing. Here's the Bjorkstrand trade. And just a lot of great content from a very, uh, very talented group of writers that stretch from here in Seattle to Florida to Ohio, um, which is really awesome to see that it's not just a local community, but this 32 crew really stretches everywhere. We have fans in Australia. Those first few articles were written or were that we wrote people from like Finland and Russia read these articles. It was like, dude, this is a global community. This is really awesome. That's exciting. Um, Yeah. So, so, so just to jump back something you said, so it's interesting. You're, you kind of have a unique, uh, you know, uh, and maybe Brandon can speak more of this since he was the very beginning, but it, it's interesting that the team sort of sanctioned you guys. So it wasn't just, I mean, there are fan clubs of and groups of mm-hmm. teams or whatever the team, you know, other than giving them some free stickers or something, or, Hey, that's great. Or maybe a Twitter uh, thumbs up. That's all they do. So that's interesting that you had such uh 32 crew had such interaction with the team uh, from the get-go. Yeah. Oh, I, I personally, in a very biased sense, I think what makes this group stand out amongst kind of everything else, like all the other groups of people that decide to follow the team together, but none of them had that direct relationship with the team or the involvement. And it's it's gotten to a point where like Brandon is on first name basis with some um, internal folks in the organization. As we've started shipwrecks and body checks and really getting into this blogging and with the scrolls from the abyss for the general articles about the Kraken and then the voyage logs that we started that are more specific to each game recaps. Um, We have a couple of us writers that get to go up into the press row area and Brandon is known just by who he is. Like he'll walk on on the day that he's going to go up there and they're like, Oh, we know who you are. Here's your tag. And where like myself and a couple other people, we've got to like present like ID and tell them their, tell them our name and like, Oh, okay. You're one of those. And I was like, yes, but he, People know him. Like it's awesome. It's super cool to see. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's really, really special how involved it is. Um, makes for really great um networking and uh really easy for our content, especially with like the articles and some of these um pieces that we put together from the writers, like uh that footprint immediately from the get-go was there. I think some of our first articles we launched back in August like within like a couple of days had up to over a thousand views. And it's like, that's, it's super cool. And I don't know if we had started this whole venture of podcast and articles and more of like your sports journalism, if we had started that way early, if we would have had that backing then, and it would have been more of a struggle. And it feels surreal that I can sit and say now that I have press credentials to go to a cracking game and sit up next to, um, like scouts from teams. The few games I've been to this year, I've sat next to the same Ottawa Senator scout. And it's like, what what is he doing here every game? Like, so then you sit there and you're looking like, all right, what does their roster look like? What does our roster look like? What are their needs? And it's nuts. Like being up there and I am not a journalist by trade. I'm more of just a obsessive fan. So I'll be up there and you're not supposed to like cheer or like really have like bias. Yeah, be, lay back and be cool. Like you, you belong yeah. there, right? And I'm not very good at that. Like they'll have a really great like run up of play or uh, the one that I, the Nashville Predators game I was at where we kind of stomped them in that first period. And uh, Everly's first goal within like the first 20 seconds when he 
ripped the shot and it went through. I, yeah. And I cheered and about three seats to my left is the social media team for the Nashville Predators. And I could feel them like just turn and look at me. It's like, sorry, guys, you're in our house. And I'm not a professional. I just talk and people listen to me talk about hockey. So I might cheer even now and then. It's okay. Let it go. No worries. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah so yeah. so about how many people, you know, ballpark. So you were talking about where people are from and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Do you know how many people are in your network or how many people, you know, read, read the story? Um, last I saw, the Twitter account is definitely more of the bigger following. We do have a Discord server. We have an Instagram account, but our uh, Twitter account is definitely the more like where we get most of that content scene. Um, and we're up just under just under 6,400 people that okay. follow and, yeah. and see. Um, and I think the largest number I saw, I think Brandon said throughout the season, like the impressions are up in like the two point something million through the season as a whole, which blew my mind when when he and I first started talking about me writing first he's I was like yeah I I did this for fun when I was like 19 covering like the 2012 Seahawks draft and I had my mock drafts featured on some database for mock drafts when people thought I was nuts for saying we should draft Mike Eopati at number six lo and behold he went on to be a all pro guard so probably would have been better than uh, Russell Okun but who's to say um but uh he's like yeah we, I could see there being like one to 2000 views on an article a month. And I was like, Meh, that's my dream come true. So you're just allowing all this to happen. So, okay. So you're doing all this. And so when do you, did you get to the point? Okay. Well, we should have a, a podcast and, and yeah. And so that was, so what was that next step? That was always his plan. Brandon, cause Brandon is kind of more or less the, the face of this whole thing. He's always thinking about what is next, but just kind of working slowly through that timeline. Um, but he messaged me over the summer, and he it was another one of those, like, anybody in the crew that wants to uh, get involved, uh, let me know on a new venture we might be working on. And it was uh, to give audio clips of, like, hockey phrases or, like, things to amp somebody up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that. And literally pulled over in my car recorded something and sent it to him and it was for it's it's what became our intro to our pod uh, to the podcast i'm the light the lamp piece to that so I, I did that before i was even invited onto the podcast and didn't have a nice microphone like you can tell my audio is not as good as it is now um and then as a couple articles went in after brandon and i met in person at the manor game he's very much he and i both are very much base everything off of the vibe people put off and he was like dude i feel it like do you want to do this and i don't even think i asked my wife like because it's it's a teamwork i'm i'm married we have a three-year-old son and it's like that's a lot of time commitment but also i want to do that so i'll say yes and then i'll have that discussion at home of how that's going to work and timing and everything so was she receptive or did you get a talking to uh, she was receptive. She goes, did you say like, and I told her, I was like, Hey, I'm going to do a podcast. She goes, Oh, did you get invited to us? Like, Oh no, no, no. I already said yes. Um, but it works. He and I are both night owls. So we record after both of our kids go to sleep, um, which is nice, but, uh, but yeah. And he had, he had sent me, uh, information about the podcast, uh, designs and the name and everything. And I said, that's the coolest thing. Any way I can help. Um, at, cause at that point I had been 
on as a writer. I was like, anything that I can do to help, like, that'd be awesome. Like, this is just the coolest thing. And he had said, hey, do you want to co-host it? And I said, yeah, like as a guest. And he goes, no, 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 like the co-host. I said, yes, absolutely. Yes, I do. Wow. This... Jim, this is reminding us of our friend Nathan. <laughs> Nathan's not he. Our, our our colleague Nathan Gunderson also has uh, as as a little kid and uh, goes through some of the same things as, as you. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. so you guys have bond on a lot of things. Uh, maybe in the future. Uh, well, that's great. Congrats on all that. So let's um, and we can uh, recap it a little bit later on. But how can people get involved and and read and listen to you and all that? Where 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 are you all located? Yeah, so 32 Crew is just about everywhere socially. Um, We've got an Instagram account. 32KREW, right? Correct. Uh, The Instagram is just 32 Crew, so 32KREW. The Twitter is The 32 Crew. Um, Shipwrecks and Body Checks has its own uh, Twitter account, and that's uh, S underscore and underscore b underscore podcast um brandon has his own twitter that's crew captain but c-a-p-t-n um i've got a twitter uh rick judd 21 but it's it's all social based and then we've got the website 32 crew.com um periodically i'd say once maybe a quarter once every couple maybe six months or so we have flags that are behind uh this i don't know if you guys do video for this podcast but i've got the flag displayed behind me um, those are cool. Uh, they're really fun to take to different places and present the flag and you get featured almost every single time someone travels and has their flag, kind of like the Kraken do with the Kraken flag or the 12th man flag with the Seahawks. We have articles for just about every single game that happens on the 32 crew website um, under the voyage logs section. Um, and then the scrolls from the abyss will post uh, articles about anything from month reviews to statistical deep dives to player personnel and um yeah it's it's all social based um we do watch parties every now and then we've got one coming up on the 11th of december at the 32 bar and grill for that away game um it's going to be a toy drive at at the iceplex is that where they mostly are We've done a couple um, before I really got heavily involved with the group. They did uh, a couple that first season up there, um, but we've got folks kind of all over the Puget Sound. So um, we the last one we did was down in Lacey um, for the Pittsburgh game. Um, so we try and spread it out to be and to cater to the different areas where fans and crew members are. But uh, this next one will be up in the 32 Bar and Grill. It's going to be a toy drive. Um, you can get information from that on the 32 crew Twitter page. Um, yeah, it's just really exciting. And the the fun part is how seamless the group interacts with each other. And because of just the state of the world, when the team came about to the branch and wide reach of where people live, like we all interact with each other pretty much on a daily basis through this. Um, and don't really interact in person all that much. So when you do these watch parties or get togethers, it's just fun to see a person that you've interacted with and everything clicks and you're like, Oh, we don't have to go through this. Like I'm meeting you because we talk like every single day. That's great. Well, congrats on all that you guys are doing and keep doing what you're doing and, um, Stick around because I want want you to jump in a conversation with me and Jim here on all this stuff. I'm going to uh, jump in for a second here or a second, a few a few minutes here and uh, 
uh, go over uh, some some team happenings right now. Uh, since our previous episode, our Seattle Kraken have kept on rolling with lots of offense and victories. Uh, as we record this episode, the team is on a six-game win streak and are getting ready for a home game against Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals, which we'll chat a bit about in our next episode. Uh, as of this recording, they have the fifth best record in the whole NHL. Yes, the whole NHL, not division, not conference. It's actually the whole league, folks. And uh, sure, we're only around a quarter or so into the season. But, uh, man, that is damn impressive to me and most hockey watchers for a team that had the third worst record at the end of last season. And, yes, there are some new guys on the team, but we have a, a lot of the same folks, too. And so that's really uh, been been a a nice thing to see and you know nice surprise to to some degree um so uh, quickly going through a timeline of games after a five game win streak which we went over last episode the Kraken had a bit of a drop off losing the, the next two games which uh we also talked about previously but I bring all of that up cuz from from that it was hard to foresee what would be coming next folks uh that was all right uh, before yet another impressive win streak and somewhat almost unbelievable offensive display, uh, which was sort of interesting after they couldn't get much offense going in those two losses. So this all started on November 17th at home against the New York Rangers, who were always a formidable opponent, uh, and it was in a really exciting game. Uh, it was an overtime game that they won by the score of 3-2, to two, Justin Schiltz having two goals in that contest. Then uh, shortly after, they took on division rival the Los Angeles Kings and defeated them in the very same fashion. An overtime victory by the score of 3-2. to two. McCann, Sprong, and Eberle with goals on that one. Ebbs uh, having the winning goal. Four days later, they spanked, really spanked the uh, San Jose Sharks by the score of 8-5. to five. I guess I should say spanked offensively. Obviously, that wasn't great defensively. Uh, while Martin Jones has very often played well uh, and is racking up the wins, his goals against the average has taken a couple of bad hits, and there's a doozy of one, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, uh, lots of lots of guys get goals in the, that Sharks game, but the one I'll highlight is the one that poor uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand finally got. I say poor because the man was racking up assists this season and certainly contributing, but a goal had been very elusive to the man. So uh, he finally got off that slump in that game, which was which was great to see for him. Uh, so uh, nice three-day victory roll, but then they have to play that team that perhaps has been their biggest nemesis so far in their brief existence. I am speaking of the Vegas Golden Knights. They played them uh, that next day in Vegas. Uh, I can't say there was a ton of confidence from fans that they'd come up with a victory on that one, especially since Vegas has been playing very strongly so far this season. But lo and behold, the Kraken finally beat the Knights for the first time ever. A really great win uh, by the score of 4-2. to two. My favorite, my personal favorite addition to this team this year, Andre Burakovsky getting two goals on that one. And we saw the return of goalie Philip Grubauer in net. He was coming back from an injury, had uh, 20 nice saves in that one. So the Kraken remained on the road uh, after that, heading over to Anaheim. Uh, lots more offense in that one with some defensive lapses, unfortunately. But they won. They won 5-4. to four. Matty Beniers with a goal and two assists in that game. And then one of the most incredible, and you could say incredibly, you know, incredible a lot of ways. You could say it's incredibly fun. You could say incredibly sloppy, incredibly ridiculous. Lots of ways you can use the word incredible to describe that game. 
for the first time, I think I, if I read it correctly, first time in 11 years, there was an NHL game with 17 goals. And your Seattle Kraken was part of this historic game, and they scored nine of those goals for the win in overtime. The score, yes, was nine to eight. Veneer, I mean, a lot of guys got goals, but here's <laughs> and Burakovsky all uh, underlined with uh, each uh, with two goals. And Martin Jones got the win. He stayed in the whole time, uh, but uh, the stats uh, took a little bit of a nosedive, although he did stop 27 shots in that one. There were a lot of shots on the guy that game. So um, so it, it's incredible. Your Seattle Kraken folks scored 32 goals in six games. Yes, that's 32 goals in six games. How many other teams can say that? Jim Cockrell, my God, what is on earth going on? Wow. Um, I'm blown away like everybody else. Uh, even, the, even the radio stations are talking it up. You know, I was at that Rangers game, and that was a great game. And that seemed like a typical tight battle. Uh, it was a little sloppy at times, but Schultz stepping up on that with the two in the winter, and he got to toss his first fish ever, which is always cool. By the way, that's another thing. Last year, we didn't see many wins in the building, and I walked out many times thinking, man, on a win, it's so nice leaving that building, right? Stepping up to uh, the November 9th game or 19th game against the LA Kings, that was another close three to two uh, OT winner, Everly, like you said. That's that's more the kind of games I expect at home, you know, with the way the team had been playing, which was better. And then all of a sudden that that big game, that big eight, eight goal producer against the Sharks. I happened to be at that game. I took my uh, daughter. That was fantastic. And that was I, I think I commented on Twitter or something about it was amazing to stand up in your seat eight times to do the to play, play the cracking goal song. Uh I kept looking at her smiling. You know, she's not a huge fan, but she's digging it. She's got the geeky jersey and all this stuff, and she loves it, and she appreciates it. But, man, we were digging it. And so many players had big, big nights, you know, lots of production. Everybody had a lot of goals. I still crack up at Alexiak's goal, How you know, when he gets the green light to go down low and play like a winger. I laugh every time. And uh, at that point, that was his fourth goal. His shooting percentage was like 40%. Uh, it was crazy. I st I'm still keeping tabs on that. He has the highest shooting percentage on the club, which is funny. Of all guys, funny. I, I know. I just I just love the green line. A lot of you know what? A lot of the crack and D get the green light. It's part of the Haxel system. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, and you know, and then that following game against, which was just a killer beauty, and you know, it was kind of. Let's admit it, it was a surprise to to me to have Grubauer get that start. I, I wasn't expecting that. I thought if anything, because he was ready and he was on the bench the, the game before against San Jose. Uh, so when he started, you know, I was like, okay, here we go. But it was his birthday. Had some good karma going on there or something. And he played well. We we, we shut him down, though, pretty good. Their low shot count, quality shots were taken away. But it was finally nice to beat those guys, man, especially on the roll we've been doing. And we've been getting all these divisional points, which is just fantastic. You know, we've been robbing points. And then, of course, the road trip. I, I was on a vacation for all of that road trip. You know, th we, this is where we kind of turned into a little bit of a run and gun. You know, Chris, I'm not a big, big guy like that uh, on the run and gun stuff. Uh, I Being an ex-coach, it kind of rips me apart. But uh, it's exciting for the fans. It was crazy hockey, you know, 5-4, and the, that was a back-and-forth game in Anaheim, trading goals. Um, still, our face-off was brutal again at 41%. Uh, 
we had a couple games early on where our faceoff was above 50. That was kind of surprising. But then we snuck back into that low, horrible, you know, 41, 34 in the following game. But these high production games, as we all saw that the uh, last game was crazy. I actually turned it off when it was seven, six at, at halfway through the game, I couldn't handle it anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love, I'm just going to interject. I mean, I just, you know, I love it. I, I guess it's Piper, you know, interviewing McCann. That's this is one example. And, you know, I was like, what's going on. He had this look of almost horror in his face. I looked at it. It's like, uh, this, this isn't supposed to be happening. This isn't good. And, uh, well, and, and hockey yeah. coaches everywhere, you know, the casual fans like, oh, this is fun. I like hockey now. And the coaches are like, good. No, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. Burakovsky had the same response as well. It was just it, none of these guys had ever been through anything like that. McCann said he didn't junior at Sault Ste. Marie, but um, yeah, that was great. I actually turned I said, I tweeted something to the effect of like, you know, neither of these teams deserve to win. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> um, but they set all kinds of records for sure. And, and it's going to be the talk of the town for a while. I heard, I was listening to sports radio this morning and they were just laughing throughout the whole process of replaying the game. And this game actually made it on pardon the interruption on the ESPN. They did a little thing on what was the biggest news of hockey. Cause Ovechkin, you know, got some goals tied or got over Gretzky on some record. I think uh, the Bruins 13, whatever it's get you know, games, you know, winning games, uh, there was another thing, and then the nine to eight game, and I was like, "Wow, I didn't." It's like, I mean, it was the news, and you know, actually, the NHL Network and everything. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, on on the good end, I mean, even though that was sloppy, or it's funny, Allison Lucan got a lot. Of, I listened to her too. She's saying it was shitty hockey. Whoops, you know, uh, she kind of got caught yeah. on TV. She was right though, but in a way. But I was going to say, at least we're getting some. Good shots. I I felt last year so often, and uh, and uh, you know they they couldn't get they couldn't get quality shots. Well, last year I think we had a two point three goal per game average throughout the end of the season, and then we're up now like three point four five somewhere in there. Rick might be able to correct me on that. I know he's a numbers guy, um, and that's substantial because how many times did we hear about the whole even the coaching staff in interviews talking about you know, one goal games, one goal games. And that's the difference. And between that and some pretty solid goaltending, you know, it's funny. I, the last three um, wins from Jones, I, I decided to look at the numbers last night and I took him down. Um, he, he's got three wins, you know, but his, his goals against is like five, five or yeah, five, five, eight. And his uh, save percentage is like, Eight one seven. I'm like, wow. I don't think any tenders ever pulled that off. You know. So the bottom line is, is they're winning, regardless. There's a bit of confidence, no matter what. So this team's on a roll. They November ten one and one. What are you going to say, man? Here we are at the Magic U.S. Thanksgiving uh, grade deadline. Uh, a lot of us early on were thinking, okay, you know, could it be Haxel's situation there? Um, are we going to have to make some moves? What's going to happen? But right now, everything's looking pretty glorious. It really is. Rick, what are your thoughts on any of those games or just in general? Yeah, I mean, November has been a very great but very interesting month for them. They're, they're playing a style of hockey that is not sustainable, but somehow they've sustained it through the entire month. Going 10-1-1 through the month, but the last two weeks of November – 
their penalty kill was at 44%, like just atrocious, awful. Um, and that hasn't really been great all season. Um, they had a good stretch of run in late October, early November, where they went like 16 straight penalty kill opportunities without giving up a goal. And after last year's uh, showing of not great defense, that was really promising, but it feels like since early, early November, it's just been awful on the penalty kill. Um, and the amount of giveaways and bad positioning and their inability to control that zone right in front of the net, right in front of our keeper and just letting opposition and the opposing forwards basically start paying mortgage for that zone there and take any rebound and put it in. It was really highlighted for this Kings game because I mean, you don't give up eight goals and not have really, really, really bad defense. Um, We've just been really lucky to have great offense in the midst of all this. And I think you take away Bierkowski, you take away Bjorkstrand. And if you were to have last year's team play this way on defense, we're losing probably every single game that uh, we gave up at least four goals, which would not have led to a positive November and probably by this point would have led to Haxtell being fired. But it's the 2022-23 season, Kraken, with Bjorkowski, with Bjorkstrand, with a full season of Matty Berniers. And we're finding offense at every single opportunity. And early on in the season, I got really worried because they weren't shooting when they had lanes open. And it was to the point where like you'd hear Eddie O on the broadcast screaming, shoot the puck. And when Wenberg would pass instead of shoot, he would start criticizing and saying, you got to shoot, 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 shoot all the time. Um, And I think they heard him. Either that or Ron Francis gave Coach Hack a a talking to and said, hey, if this continues, things aren't going to go well Um, because their complete turnaround in mentality and the style of hockey they're playing is incredible. And it flipped on a switch. Um, And I really want to say it was that overtime loss to the Jets. um, That one's where they. Yeah. And it was at that point, overtime was basically a we got a point and we'll take the loss because we got a point. They had only ever won one overtime game up to that point. Um, And I remember texting with Brandon, actually, that when we went to overtime, I was like, this isn't going to go well. And after Burakovsky tried splitting the D's uh, against Winnipeg and left all three of our skaters in the offensive zone, the turnover, and then the straight run down, you're not going to, you're not going to win a game when you've got a two on one with the skater looking at your own goal, trying to catch up when they can tic-tac-toe the goalie. Jones had a negative percent chance to take a save there because you're either going to go after the guy with the puck and leave the second guy open, which is what happened, or you make the move to the second guy and it's an open goal. It's just a a no-win scenario on an odd man rush in overtime like that. And they had canceled a practice um, leading up to that game, and it was just more and more infuriating that we were canceling practices when there was such glaring defensive needs of positioning and not having the right mentality on defense of clearing the puck properly, being in the right positions, Um, and particularly not playing overtime well. Um, And that week, they had like two straight practices of 
focus on overtime. They were doing three on threes. And then the next two games also went to overtime. And those were the overtime games we won. Um, and it showed that they focused on an issue and they played better. Um, and, and I don't know if they did that for more than that or not, but that was that one where it was, here's a focus of need. They focused on it in practice and it showed directly. Um, and I think that's the point we need to make right now for our defense in general. How do we play better defense in the moment? Offense, fine. Don't touch it. It's working. Continue the offensive mindset. But I, the only thing that worries me about how they've been playing is that they're singularly focused. We're going to score a bunch. Defense is going to be bad, but we're going to score more than the other team. But that's not sustainable. And you still need to focus on defense. And my only worry is that it gets bad enough or whenever we eventually do lose um, on the six-game winning streak, we focus to defense and our offense shuts down. And then that would just vice versa everything. And if that is the case, even with how well we're playing, I've never fully jumped off the, I don't think Coach Haxtell's are the long-term solution. So I, I'm, it's still on the back burner for me that I don't think he, uh, I don't think he'll be our coach next season either way. Um, I just don't know if he'll finish this season if we continue not to be able to play a full game of hockey. That's interesting. Yeah, we're on the same page. We we've been uh, critical of, of Haxtell, but uh, you know, I, you know, you got granted you got to look at the scoreboard, right, Jim? But, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, if I'm at a point here, Rick brought up a good point because I was at that Winnipeg game, and that was the most frustrating loss I've ever witnessed. And you're right. You know, it was real quiet in the media about what was going on, the canceled practices, the this, the that, that people were starting to mumble about things. Um, and you're right. I mean, they worked on the three on three, all that other stuff. And, you know, they've been working on those damn face offs all year long. And I don't know what's going on. You know, I, I read highlighted team stats and it's still the same thing always. And that PK is 30th ranked in the league at 68, six. Um, we rank 29th on shots on goal. So we're being too selective, mm -hmm. you know? Just throw the damn puck at the net. Who cares who it hits? Um, I mean, it's really unbelievable. I mean, can you think of a team in the past? I mean, I, anything can happen, but it's just that, you know, face-offs, the shots on goal, and, and this PK, and you're winning this yeah, much. I, I can't think, remember yeah, that, it. That's the weird thing about it, and that that, that falls into what Rick was talking about. But, um, you know, I'm almost I'm almost sure that, that Ronnie did pull him in at some point and say, look, man, I know your system, puck pressure system, all this stuff. This is why we hired you. But you know what? It's not quite working. Let's tweak it a bit. And I'm sure mm -hmm. you did because you're seeing different stuff. You're seeing the offside wingers collect and being picked up where you weren't for the longest time because the puck pressure was so heavy, you know, strong side puck stuff. Um, and that's fine. If that's what it takes to win, that's fine. But there looks like there's some type of trade-off in and, you know, you talk about defense and I'm talking complete team defense, you know, neutral zone, mm -hmm. what have you. Um, the four check is still solid. That's for sure. That's that's a strong game there. But I think there's some trade offs going and that's fine. We're winning. But you're right. Sustainable. Who knows? Uh, but it sure is fun to imagine where we're at right now, because I I never had this team. I had this team at best bouncing on a bubble by by year's end and here we are looking pretty good 
And, you know, I'm not so concerned about the six teams in the West that are all just doing their thing. I'm looking at that spacing on the bubble. The eight points right now is looking pretty good. Uh, and that's the most, that's, that's the only thing you got to worry about is that spacing on the bubble. I'm pleased, but I, I like Rick's uh, sustainable thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think bringing in Dave Lowry, I think was huge for the coaching change. Um, I also think that was whether it was out loud or not. I think that was the Ron Francis move of hacks telling hacks to like, Hey, this is the next man up. If you can't cut it and, and not a, if like we'll bring someone in, he's here and he knows what he's doing. He may not have, he may, he may not have coached at the NHL level, but he has seen sustained success uh, at juniors. His system works and it fits more of the, the roster, I think. And I think a lot of the changes we've seen this season um, are more directly related to Lowry and Leach and McDonald really pushing the organizational view above and heavier than Haxtell's want of how he coaches. Because I think, I think we started this season doing the Dave Haxtell system and October wasn't overly spectacular. Um, and once that change hit, you see a lot, like I noticed it um, on one of the Kings goals last night where they were thinking of reviewing or trying to challenge for an offside. And it was Lowry looking at the screen and Lowry was the first one to say no. And then you see hack uh, signal to the refs that he's, they're not going to pursue a review or a challenge. And um, you see a lot of like the social media platform where they talk about um, practices. It's a lot of the assistant coaches running stuff. Brandon and I have been really critical of coach early on. I mean, you, when you're, when you go 10, one and one in a month, you don't really focus as much on uh, putting the hot seat on the coach because your team's winning. But earlier on in the season, um, it definitely looked like the team was playing for themselves and really organizing themselves as a, as a player group rather than playing for coach. You'd never hear the players talk about, Oh, we won this one for coach tonight. Or like, we really let the coach down on a loss. They would talk about how they, they banded together on their own. Um, And there were even some like timeouts where they'd see, you'd like see coach trying to like, draw something up and none of the players are paying attention to them. And it's just like, this is, I've been on at, at youth levels, but I've been on teams where you just, you're not playing for the coach and the coach is only there that, so you can play, but you're not doing anything for them. Um, and I've been a player who has played for a coach that I wasn't playing for. And I was just on the field to play, but that coach meant nothing to me. Uh, and right. you, that's not how you build a good team. Um, and I was a very bad teammate at that time too but something has changed um and it's keeping hack employed for now um but uh yeah i at this point in the season though um with how last year went um i don't i don't know how much of a leash he has i think he's he's past the 25 game leash of will he be immediately fired the answer is no like he's gonna stick around but the next downswing is concerning um but i fully believe uh on an interim basis dave lowry should do a great job and i know uh trots barry trots wants to coach an original six but if we could throw money at him i would love 
frauds behind the bench for the Kraken. But that's all going into hypotheticals of if stuff goes bad, and I'd rather say the Kraken continue their success um, and outdo a lot of our expectations because my own expectation was that uh, they would push for playoff, and really my my goal was to really play uh, playoff eliminator like we did last year for Vegas. And it was really be close, but really play a team late and eliminate them from the playoffs. But here we are, second in the West with games in hand and at least two games above the Kings in third place. So I love it. Hey, Rick, uh, good point on the Lowry. I remember when he got hired, Chris and me had this same conversation in the seats watching the game going, there's a little little message right there, you know, especially with what's going on. And isn't it ironic that the game you talked about, the turning point, was against Winnipeg and his son at the same time? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of kind of a little message there. It's kind of strange. I remember watching because uh, his son was getting a little scuffle there over by the bench, and I was watching the two, uh, and Dave was just like, not even, he didn't even care. He was turning the other way. Like, Hey man, it's hockey. You know, mm-hmm. it was pretty funny. Good point. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It'll be, a, you know, December. I mean, the whole season's interesting, but I think it's particularly per what we're talking about. December and January are going to be uh, very interesting to see. And can the guys uh, keep this up as far as wins, you know, and I'm not expecting, you know, 12, 13 game things here, but, you know, coming up uh, as of this recording, I mean, Washington, Florida, Montreal, another Washington game, Florida again, and, uh, and then Tampa Bay, uh, you know, granted it's early in the season and and all those teams, but all those teams, if the playoffs started uh, today, uh, they'd be out of it except for uh, Tampa Bay. So, and then they've got Carolina, Winnipeg, St. Louis, Vancouver. Um, you know, the great thing is, at least on this streak, has been division games, so many of them, uh, that's, and conference games. That's been kind of huge, you know, if you're going to go on a schneid, you know, do it on the Eastern teams, I guess, if you have to. But uh, we'll, we'll see, you know. Uh, you know, hopefully they can, they can, they can write some of these things where uh, we're not going to, um, you know, uh, have to rely exactly as, as much on the offense. We'll see. Uh, okay, great points, guys. Thank you for all of that. Um, hey, just another news too before we forget. Since our last episode, um, Magnus Helberg, uh, goalie, uh, placed on waivers again, and I trust they were hoping no one would pick him up so they could probably send him to Coachella. But that was not to be. The Detroit Red Wings picked him up, uh, so he has quite the goalie equipment collection this year, thanks to being with three NHL teams so far this season. We'll see how long he sticks with Detroit. But uh, anyway, fine goalie. Uh, Gee, Magnus, we hardly got to know you. Also, some other news. uh, The Kraken's AHL affiliate, who are playing like the longest road uh, 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 streak in (laughs) any team. They're still waiting for their uh, arena to be finalized, which should be ready actually pretty soon. I forget the exact date, but uh, it, it is supposed to be ready in December. Uh, but anyway, they've been uh, they've been still competitive despite having to do all these road games. Uh, they've been they're currently in sixth place in the ten team Pacific Division of the AHL with a nine four and two record. And I bring them up. Besides that, also our number one draft choice Shane Wright, who we've seen in the Kraken uniform a little bit. Uh, he scored four goals in his first three games, uh, so he's been fitting in with the uh, AHL level game quite well and getting a good amount of playing time, which. Uh, 
he really needed. He was sadly not getting that with the Kraken. We do hope and expect to uh, see Shane back in a, a Kraken uniform relatively soon. So uh, I see your uh, right choice uh, T-shirt there, Jim. So you know I have to gotta 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 mention Shane there. Uh, we'll probably we'll we'll probably see him in a few weeks, right? I think you know. But... I think so. I was hyper hyper critical of the Shane Wright situation. Like Amen. it was it was fireable just on how they were handling that early season to me. Amen. Um, but a plan is producing. And originally I thought the plan was delay his 10 get or his nine NHL games until Don Squid got healthy and reassign him back to um, Kingston to avoid waivers for any of your fourth liners. Um, but that's not the plan. Um, but him going to Coachella on the um, conditioning loan now I had heard that the plan was to do that much earlier, but McCann went down and he had to play a couple of games and that reset the five healthy scratch game before that could happen. Um, but him going now means it's perfect timing for a long-term solution because he gets his five games at the AHL. He'll come back for the December 6th game against Montreal, which I think they're going, I would play him. I'd play him for, God, the whole 60 minutes if I could, because that's the team that didn't take him number one where he had the glare on stage. Like it's the redemption game for him. I think he scores 12 goals that game. Like that (laughs) he plays that game. And then that weekend is selection camp for world juniors. We loan him to team Canada for world juniors through December that ends early January. And then I think January like fifth would be his first game back with NHL. The, OHL season is pretty much done at that point. So I don't think uh, reassigning him to juniors makes any sense at all because he wouldn't be able to play the rest of the NHL season after OHL at that point. It'd be, you're done. But I think at that point, that's like three months left of the season. Um, If our fourth line continues to be extremely productive, like it has been with um, Donato, Geeky, and Sprong, you keep that group together as much as possible. But from January on, if we keep right under 25 games for the season, he can maintain his rookie status, go into next year. But I'd from from now um, accepting the situation on that change curve of of acceptance, um, knowing he's we're going to use the first year of his ECL. um, I'd like to see him play somewhere between 15 to 20 games through the rest of the season after coming back from world juniors and that's once or twice a week which would be normally your depth forward plays once or twice a week maybe to give people break um skaters breaks here and there but um and then really go toward trying to position him as your fourth line or third line center next year as we have guys like geeky who's on a restricted who are who will be a restricted free agent again um donato's on a one year there's going to be um, a lot more openings in the lineup going into next season that he could fit in after practicing at the NHL level all season that he'll be much more ready for. And I think the coaching staff will believe in him going into next year if he spends all season here. It just, you lose one year off your entry-level contract that way. I, I think the timing works out just fine right now, how you laid it out, because it makes sense right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I truly don't believe that was ever the plan going back to the start. <laughs> yeah. I still yeah. think 
I still think the log jam and the one-year contracts, the late signings had a lot to do with the log jam and the management headache of it. Um, but it works now. Yeah. And I hope if they go with what you said, and that's kind of what they're saying, it could be good. He could slip in. He could be the coolman or whatever. But I personally, I don't want to see him do, pulling fourth line minutes at any capacity, even if they slide him to the wing. I want to see him in third line minutes at a minimum on a shutdown roll or something. Yeah. Because if he still pulls eight, eight and a half, whatever, it's still not doing anything for his game on a checking line. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but I, I agree if they can slot him three, but next year is going to be the year because that bottom six, we've look, we've got, that's one of the great things about this team right now. We actually have a top six, you know, and it's working well. Yeah. The bottom six is going to rotate like crazy and we're going to lose those contracts. That's a lot of one-year contracts there and everybody's going to hate losing those players. Right. Um, but that's, what's going to happen besides uh, maybe a bigger name move. Um, I've said them before, I'm not going to say it, but, uh, and then and he's going to slot up and he's good to go. So mm-hmm. it, the plan works right now. I'm just more excited about next year, straight up yep. about him. Now let me so, throw yeah, something else into- out, a, a hypothetical to you guys. Cause you know, I, I was going, you know, look, looking at the firebirds and what's been happening. This uh, Jesper Frodin Frodin is uh your high score. He's got nine goals already. And, uh, you know, and then sometimes just talk about, I don't, I don't see too many like defensive stats except for plus, I mean, you know, Riker Evans has a plus seven. It looks like he's like the best on the, as far as the D guys on that. Um, and, you know, Podorowski and some other guys that have some good numbers that do we see any of those guys uh, make little appearances later in the year? You think? I think most of those signings were made with the intention of their AHL contracts, their AHL players. I think you've got maybe three or four guys on that roster who have a potential if roster openings come in, um, which would either be uh, serious injury woes or more realistically, uh, as Brandon likes to call it, Amazon Prime season, um, where... Um, some expensive contracts on some older players get moved for picks that become roster openings. And I realistically, I think the only guys playing for Coachella that are going to see a Kraken jersey this season would be Riker Evans if uh, a hole comes in the defense. Um, and the guys we saw last year, Cole Lind and Alexander True, I think are really the only ones that are going to get there. Um, Podorowski was signed specifically to be uh, AHL scoring. He led AHL in scoring last season, um, and he was technically signed to an NHL contract this year, but I don't think there's any circumstance where he plays. Um, a lot of those other guys, the, the Cam Hughes, the um, uh, first guy you mentioned. Uh, Frodin. Yes, Frodin. I don't I don't think he he's going to play. Um, I, it was part of that understanding of this, the off season and the summer was there's going to be a lot of guys we sign that could or might be exciting names, but they're not, they're not going to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, you know, they're course. having them like for AHL. Cause obviously we have a team there. We got to get it. They got to, they got to fill that and, and have that team, uh, do well and do its thing but and a lot of them are just, you know, uh, insurance in case there's a lot of, uh, injuries, mm-hmm. of course, but 
I bring it up mainly because, you know, what we're going back to where I talk about their their defensive woes. And uh, I'm not saying necessarily any of the AHL guys are the, with maybe the exception of Riker, if he continues to improve. But I mean, you know, do, do we have a player problem? Should we be on, you know, trading, trading some guys or do we have to wait till the end of the year on that? Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and let Rick speak. You know, I, I, I will tell you this. I, I, I've said this all along going back to last year. Um, Don Scoy is going to go somehow or another. You're not going to get anything for him either because of his injury status and where he is in his career. Um, but I, my, my big pick, and I've said it since last year as well, because I think it creates space and I think you can get a nice little turnaround for him in picks. And that's Wenberg. I think, um, he's, you know, he, look, he's a good player. He's producing as he should. Um, he's scoring goals. He's got four goals. He's got a lot of points. He's, he's doing good stuff, uh, on the second line, technically, or first line even. Um, but I think he's the perfect trade item for picks and it creates that room to slot up for Shane next year. And I, if he's gone, I don't even think it affects the team in any way. Yeah. No. He he's got the high hockey IQ that will make it attractive to a team. If I think Wenberg moves, if we drop out of playoff contention without second thought, because he's going to be that Marcus Johansson trade last year, that will get you a piece and picks on a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. Um, I think defensive pairing three, one of those two goes, um, whether it's uh, Susie or Borgen, um, I, I lean towards keeping Borgen just because of his youth and um, Susie's uh, extra um, expenses. Um, and his recent uh, play hasn't helped his case to stay here at all. Um, but I think, I think Susie, um, Wenberg, Donskoy, I think as much as he's really great and he's got the dad energy, I think Eberly could potentially be someone. Um, realistically, anybody making money, like a, a, a fair bit of salary, who's not signed more than like two years is potential to go. Um, but that also, we I think we only make drastic moves if we drop off. I think if we stay where we're at, I think you make one or two moves maybe, um, but those are like piece for piece moves and not necessarily taking somebody like Eberly out of this lineup and only getting picks back. But um, I think the big one is, I, I don't think our defensive woes are personnel related. Um, I think the groups fit together, the pairings fit together, the coaching staff believes in the pairings because those are the only things that haven't changed this season. All six of them have, other than when Alexiak went out, um, all six of them have skated together in their pairings almost evenly throughout the games too. Um, but uh, it's, it's something else that's not working and it's either they're not focusing on it in practice enough consistently that it's transitioning to on ice um, play. But I personnel wise, it's really five of the six defenders we had last year. So the chemistry is there. And Justin Schultz is the only newcomer, and he's been only playing better than our defense last year. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's personnel. That's the defensive woes. It's 
And I don't necessarily think it's only system or coaching either. There's there's something that's not meshing with the players we have and the type of hockey we want to play. Um, but I think it's once they figure out what that disconnect is, I think it's going to drastically increase that defense overnight. Haxtell puck pressure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. See what happens there. And exactly, guys. All right. Well, great stuff, guys. Uh, got some great games. A lot of great games left, uh, of course, a lot in the season. It's going to be very interesting to see. A lot more interesting than maybe we uh, thought at this point, which, is, which has been fun. So uh, it's great. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great to have you. Know, maybe we'll get try to get Brandon on next time. So, you know, sometime in the future, maybe we can do this uh, occasionally from time to time. Again, Rick Jack from uh, 32 Crew and Shipwrecks and Body Checks. Check that podcast out. And uh, thanks again, pal. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Cool. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's it for this episode. Um, uh, thanks uh, for all of you to for listening, too. Uh, please keep in mind, if you haven't already, Join us on Facebook, on Twitter. Our handle is at Cast Kraken. You can also find us on Instagram and on YouTube. Uh, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and our own website, www.seattlekrakenfancast.com. Uh, we also hope you'll consider supporting us on our Patreon financial support platform. You can find more information for that at patreon.com slash krakenfancast. We are so very grateful to all of our supporters. Also, much thanks, as always, to our producer, Jay Middleton. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, more game discussion news and interviews uh, for Jim Cockrell and uh, Nathan Gunderson, who will hopefully be back with us soon. I'm Chris Porter. We thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, we say, go Kraken! Go Kraken!